Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Pushkin. Yo, man, remember when we were in high school and we won the city champion, public school city tennis championship? I think we, we got won to go to city 10 years. We won 10 years in a row, right? Oh, man. Well, we didn't, but our, our, I think it was our 10th <laughs> grade year. And we yes. went to City Hall and we got to meet the mayor who was then Harold Washington. I know. I mean, we were all dressed up. And you looked ridiculous in like this old Yo, man. man blazer <laughs> with the I did cricket not own, tie. I didn't, I, I didn't own a suit. I didn't own a jacket. I had to borrow my dad's jacket. You are exactly right. Your memory is correct. But we did get to meet Harold Washington. We got to meet Harold Never Washington. Never forget that. And boy, that was beautiful. Boy, did that turn out to be historic. I'm Khalil Gibran Muhammad. I'm Ben Austin. We are two best friends. One black. One white. I'm a historian. And I'm a journalist. And this is Some of My Best Friends Are. Some of my best friends are... Dot, dot, dot. (laughs) (laughs) In this show, we wrestle with the challenges... And the absurdities... Of a deeply divided and unequal country. And today, we are talking about one of the most legendary Chicago politicians, Mayor Harold Washington, who's the subject of a recent documentary, Punch Nine for Harold Washington. We're going to learn about his Rainbow Coalition, where it came from, and how it's working today. Yep, yep, that's right. We're also going to talk to someone who is carrying on that legacy in Chicago right now, an older woman from Chicago, Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez. Hey, man, I am really interested in what's happening in Chicago right now. We have a ton of black people and Latino people running for mayor. The current mayor, Lori Lightfoot, has been on her heels for a long time. And I know, you know, this doesn't make a lot of sense to everybody, but Chicago's been a bellwether for the nation for a long time. I mean, the first and black Chicago matters is what you're saying. Yeah, Chicago matters. The first black politician since Reconstruction came out of Chicago. The obviously the the first black president of the United States came from Chicago. The first black woman to go to the U.S. Senate came out of Chicago. So what happens in Chicago matters to the rest of the nation, right? Man, that's right. That's right. You know, this mayoral election is historic in so many ways. And one way which is surprising is there's only one white candidate in the race right now. Oh, wow. Yes. (laughs) That that has to be the first time ever in the history of Chicago. I did not. There's only one white candidate. I actually didn't realize that. That's really fascinating because you and I watched this documentary, Punch Nine, 
And it is a history of the first black mayor of Chicago, Harold Washington. That's right. When the script was totally flipped away from, you know, a gazillion white mayors and one of the most ruthless machine politicians, old man Richard J. Daley. Mayor for life. He was mayor for 21 years. But yeah, Harold Washington, his election in 1983 was such a big deal for us as young people then. We were early teenagers, maybe we were 11 or 12. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's not teenagers even. (laughs) And I do remember my dad working on the campaign. I remember people campaigning all around our neighborhood. Yeah. I remember this being really such a huge deal. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I think, you know, I a lot of times we take for granted, like, you know, Jews working on this campaign with black folks, for example. In that documentary, there's this moment where, you know, you can hear in the documentary all these slogans that are being crafted, like hunkies for Harold, which of course is like ethnic snur for Hungarians or Eastern Europeans. And the one I love was locks and bagels for Harold. <laughs> so that's that's kind of like the energy that this this Rainbow Coalition was unleashing. Harold Washington is asking for support from from this huge group of progressive allies. Yeah. Everyone called him Harold, like this sort of personal. He he had this sort of avuncular grandfatherly way, <laughs> yes, like yes, he felt he's a connected bear. to him. Yes. <laughs> but but he also had this this forcefulness, mm-hmm. you know, like he, he didn't take shit. And yeah. he also his language, he used this, you know, sort of um you know, like thesaurus words all the time. You had to look up the words that he was saying. He was just so erudite at the at, at the same time. It was sort of like captivating you. It was like Shakespearean. Oh, it's kind of like me. I love that. Thank yes, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, not at all. Not at all. You know. So so looking back on this history for me, and you know, I studied this uh, for many things, including the the book about public housing. Um, for me, Harold Washington, that moment in time is about participation in the democratic process. I mean, we often talk about how the civil rights was sort of disconnected from our childhood in the 80s, but this is the closest connection to me. 130,000 people were added to the to the to voting rolls at this time. Mm. That's so many people who were like, want to participate in the democratic process who weren't part of it before. And a huge number of them were black people. Yeah, man, I'm so glad you talked about him increasing voter roles and and increasing the number of black voters, because in many ways, I mean, he was inspired by earlier movements for participatory democracy. He was inspired by the Black Panther Party in Chicago that ultimately coined the phrase Rainbow Coalition. And those folks moved from from civil disobedience and grassroots organizing, the Young Lords, which was a Puerto Rican-inspired organization, the Young Patriots, who were working-class white people, they all came together in this so-called Rainbow Coalition to fight for equity, to fight for justice uh, in Chicago. And in the end, that era of the 1960s under Harold Washington translated into the power of the ballot, the power of the vote, the power to right. take charge of Chicago. And, and that's what was so exciting about his candidacy. Yeah, yeah. Harold Washington actually begins, his father is, is part of the Democratic machine. And Harold Washington gets elected into, into first uh, mm. state office, and then he's, he's a, c- a congressman. And you couldn't do that without having sort of the approval of, of the daily machine. But he breaks with them, and it's uh, issues today. You know, police brutality and standing up against it. That's right. Uh, you know, Issues of black disenfranchisement and not being part of the process of of not really sort of participating in the city. Um, And yeah, he makes this total break and and becomes an outsider candidate. And, you know, how do you do that? How do you sort of, you know, fight the powers that be and and (laughs) and, you know, build this huge coalition to try to overcome it? It was it was it seemed like it was impossible in Chicago. And we lived at a time when we saw it happen. That's right. It seemed impossible, but it wasn't. And the threat Hmm. of his success as the leader of this Rainbow Coalition in 1983 Chicago produced a moment in time which is still reverberating to this day. Of course, since Chicago- you're now talking about, you're talking about now like uh, the, the, the white backlash against this movement or- Yeah, you... yeah, I'm, ta- I'm talking yeah. about when Harold Washington was finally nominated as a Democratic candidate for mayor and instead of it being a, a shoe in for the general election and becoming the next mayor, the white working class haters who Harold Washington said were racist from rib to rib, (laughs) he said in this amazing clip uh, from the documentary, 
ultimately began to rally Chicago's blue hardcore Democrat daily voters start to rally around this, you know, nothing candidate, Bernie Epton, as a way to save white Chicago from Harold Washington. One, one of the things that's crazy is you were talking about, you know, Jewish people like my family supporting Harold Washington and people on the South Side. Bernie Epton live like a, uh, on the same block as Harold Washington. He lives in Hyde Park. He's a Hyde Park Jewish guy, a lawyer. Oh, I didn't realize uh, that. He's he's a Republican, but being a Republican in Chicago then meant absolutely nothing. It was just sort of like a nominal thing. Right. But because of this threat of the first black mayor and sort of taking power, people felt something was being taken away from them, replacement theory. Uh, they started rallying behind this guy that nobody even knew. And and Bernie Epton, he has this campaign slogan, uh, Bernie Epton, before it's too late. Yeah, that's our that's our hometown. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's some hometown stuff right there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you 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 had told me before that you saw this documentary and you were struck by sort of the somehow the overt racism, how how staunch it was, how out there it was. Yeah, well, I mean, again, we were children at this time. I mean, barely teenagers. And so to think that white people in Chicago were articulating views as racist as, you know, white people in Birmingham. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't witness it directly, but in this documentary, it's there. It's in plain view. And of course, I'm a historian. I'm not surprised by it, you know, in an intellectual sense, but it 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 is very visceral. Yeah. And then so Harold Washington, he he does eke out a victory against against this guy, Bernard Epton, but but barely, which is crazy. Like it's incredibly close. Yeah. And and it's true, like, you know, the the turnout is insane. And um once he gets into office, there it, we have fifty aldermen in the city council, as you know. Twenty-nine white aldermen form a coalition, and they're basically saying it's like some Tea Party stuff. They're like, we are not gonna let any legislation pass. That's we right. are gonna vote down every measure. We're just basically gonna shut down city council. They're called the Verdoliac twenty-nine for this guy, one of the aldermen from the South Side. Eddie Verdoliak, Fast Eddie, people Fast called him Eddie. because he was always sorry, doing deals and he does eventually go to prison himself, but but they shut down everything and it is it is completely along racial lines. Um, you know, all of the 29 are white. Um, some of the, there's some white people on the on Harold Washington's 21, the other aldermen, um, but they're also black and Latino aldermen. Yeah, so when you say, you know, uh, this is some tea party stuff, it is. It's like it is a dress rehearsal for the Republican obstructionism that we saw Mitch McConnell lead when Obama was elected in 2009. And it's a lot of what we continue to see in the Republican Party today down to like, you know, every form of denialism about the white supremacy and white nationalism that runs through the party. But I want to talk now about uh, Harold Washington winning and governing and what his success as a mayor for the time that he was mayor presages for the kind of battles that are taking place across the nation right now. I mean, here's a man, you know, he broke the machine. He ended patronage. Democratic machine. Yeah, so he, he does end, end patronage. He enacts these this legislation, the Shackman decrees, that makes it illegal to, to actually hand out city contracts and city jobs to people. Yeah. And, and so you can no longer do that. You have to find other means to hook folks up. <laughs> and he makes the city ultimately way more responsive to many more Chicagoans, the kinds of working class black and brown voters had, that had been traditionally ignored except on Election Day or had just been given favors by the machine. And then finally, he, he elects more women to positions of leadership uh, in his administration that had ever been there before and some say ever since. Yeah. I mean, seriously, one of the, the tragedies of, of Harold Washington is he ends up winning re-election and then winning enough seats in city council of people who support him that it breaks the, the Verdoliac 29. So you can start passing much more legislation. And very early in his second term, and I, I remember exactly where I was when I got this news, I had just picked up my brother uh, from the airport and we were driving back because I was a junior in high school. I, we hear on the radio that he's he's died at his desk uh, in office. Yeah. Um, yeah. He has a massive heart attack. Yeah. And so sort of the possibility of what he could have done with um, 
with a, with a city and with support, uh, we never got to really see. Yeah, yeah. In fact, you know, he had he had bragged after he won election that he was going to be mayor for twenty years. He he was going to match uh, uh, old man Daly in his tenure. And I have to say, the thing that um, his death meant to me then is the closest that I imagine what it was like when Kennedy was assassinated uh, in 1963. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't know him in the way that adults did, but I knew him enough as a young person to feel the loss. And I actually honestly thought he was poisoned at the time. No one put that in my head. I thought it on my own because I just thought this just, just can't be true. Yeah, you said Harold wanted to be mayor for, for 20 years. What we got instead with his death was Richard M. Daly yeah. being mayor for 22 years. <laughs> the, you know, sec- the, the, the son, second coming. The son of the second coming. You know, King Richard II, somebody I heard someone call him uh, just recently. And so much of the city changes with that. Yes. I mean, you know, it's not the same kind of machine, but it's a different kind of co- consolidation of power. And it, it represents a, a, a loss for for black Chicagoans. And over time, over, you know, from that time to the present, the city has gotten wider, it's gotten wealthier, there's been more economic stratification, black population has diminished and left the city. Um, and yes, we finally had a second black mayor in Mayor Lori Lightfoot, who was elected four years ago. And and there's been huge disappointment. And, and maybe that disappointment is a big reason why we haven't really come to terms with the legacy of Harold Washington's Rainbow Coalition. That, that, that potential seems to me to still be unrealized. Yeah. And I just want to add, I mean, building on what you just said is the city has gotten whiter. We've lost about 200, 250,000 black citizens since then. They've, they've moved away from Chicago. But the city has also gotten browner. There are many more Latino people. Yes. And so the possibilities of coalition building, uh, and this is in Chicago and really in any city and in most democratic cities in the United States, this is the demographic mix up. The you know the the mix. Are you and, saying? Are you telling me some some good news? This is the possibility we have come full circle <laughs> that that the yeah, Rainbow well, we, Coalition this, can this, be reassembled. This is why. This is the reason why I think we need to look at this documentary and we need to think about Harold Washington's mayoralty and his his past, even though it's forty forty damn years ago. It's so much a part of this present and what's potential. That's also why I asked our uh, someone to be on the show today for the second half. Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez is an older person, an older woman here in Chicago. So she's one of now the city council members. She's on the Northwest side, the 33rd Ward. I heard her talk about Harold Washington documentary. And, you know, it's been airing here. The Punch Nine documentary. It's been airing here and there was a, a public screening. And and I heard her talk about here, you know, she's a young Latina a politician in Chicago currently today in 2023. And she was talking about how this history was completely relevant to her right now. This was about her politics and, and the work that she's doing today to try to bring the city together. Yeah. I'm so excited to learn from her because I think uh, her work as I've come to learn from you really suggests that she's doing some of the same work that Harold Washington did to build a rainbow coalition uh, 40 years ago. And she's knocking on doors. She's organizing black and brown and white uh, people to really focus on policies and the values that matter rather than just, you know, the color of the skin or the representational politics that have so often uh, passed as substantive change over the last 40 years. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. And we're going to talk to her. She's campaigning right now. She's been out all day, but she took some time as she's running for alderman on the 33rd Ward to come and speak with us, to come in from the cold. And so after the break, we will be back with Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. 
Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez, an older woman from the 33rd Ward in Chicago, thank you for being on Some of My Best Friends Are. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. We, Khalil and I have been talking about uh, Harold Washington and this documentary, Punch Nine. And we've been thinking so much about Harold Washington's legacy and particularly in the the way that he brought together um, what he called a rainbow coalition of white people black people, and Latinos. That also included Asian people. It, inclu- it included LGBTQI uh, people. Um, and it, it was a true diverse coalition of people that were really trying to change the way politics uh, were done in Chicago. To me, it was a really beautiful thing to witness because from what Harold Washington did, we know that it is possible that it is not mm. out of reach. That is something that we can do. And here in Chicago, we have been working really hard to be able to to get to that point. And I think that we have had a lot of successes and I, I'm very proud of what we have been building here in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, so so that you know, that's a question. I saw you give a, a, a talk, you were part of a panel discussion talking about the documentary. And it really struck me seeing you up there. You're a young Latina politician in Chicago. And these events from Howard Washington's election and then his mayoralty are like 40 years ago. It's like so long ago. And it's interesting to hear you talk about how it still resonates with you. Like like seeing this story feels part of your your political life and your life in, in Chicago. Yeah. You know, when I think about myself in this in this context, um, sometimes I think about these hiccups in history where something all of a sudden happens and it can change the course of things. Um, and when Harold Washington won and that then, you know, ended up in the council wars because nobody wanted, you know, the people that were already there and were entrenched in power, they didn't want things to change. Um, and for a little bit of time, you know, for those four years that Harold Washington fought back against the Verdoliac 29, uh, a group of 29 white aldermen that opposed everything that Harold Washington did. Could we, could we stop on that for a moment, Rosanna? Like, how did you actually either experience or learn about this? Like, what was your, what was your pathway into the Harold Washington years? Was it like political education? Did someone sit you down and say, hey, this, this is what happened. These are the lessons we learned. Well, I'm a socialist and, um, 
in order to be a socialist, <laughs> you got to dig into history, right? Like you have to be able to understand what are the things that historically have happened materially, what the current reality is built on, right? Um, so I have always been very curious about history and, um, and I have studied, you know, black power movements. I have studied um, mm. how the Puerto Ricans, for example, and colonized people have fought back in order to be able to That's get right. power and build power, real power, yep. right? Yeah, uh, real, real people power, power not, not the power that entrenched politicians get from these Like positions. the original Rainbow Coalition kind of power, right? The young lords in Chicago, the young patriots, the, the poor whites on the, on the north side of Chicago. That's the kind of history and, and socialism and grassroots organizing you're talking about. So okay. that inevitably leads you to Harold Washington. So a lot of us have continued to build in Chicago with the hope that we could create something like what Harold Washington was able to create. And let's unpack that story, your story of entering that a little bit, because in even in the documentary, there's this politician, as you said, part of the Verdoliac 29, these white politicians who are are basically like, you know, stopping all activity from happening in, in city council. One of them is this guy, Dick Mel. Um, he's unapologetic. He chooses essentially race over his Democratic Party um, and, you know, white race. And he was the alderman in the in the ward where you now hold the office. And what is your story with with his family and how did you come into office? Like, can you tell us that story? Yes, absolutely. So in 2015, um, a teacher from my community decided to run for this seat. We supported him because he was running on a platform for the 99 percent. And he was also trying to interrupt the corruption inside of city council. And when you think like, what is co- corruption like? People giving one another contracts, or uh, so. So the, the biggest, the biggest power that aldermen have is zoning, and um, yeah. and if you have the power of zoning, you can get a lot of contributions from developers who want zoning changes to increase the worth mm. of the property or to create big developments, right? Um, so Dick Mel um, was in office for thirty-eight mm. years. <laughs> And this is so Chicago, what he does. This is So, so when he decided to retire, he passed the seat on to his daughter. And you Man. might ask, oh, my God, how do people do that? <laughs> the way that people do that is that you have a really good relationship with the mayor. You go to the mayor and you say, I want you to appoint my daughter. And the mayor is going to say, OK, we got to do like this little song and dance here. We're going to say that we're going to interview candidates and then we're going to say that the most qualified candidate is your daughter. Wow. <laughs> Surprise. So wait, I have a clarifying question because I'm not in Chicago. So are you saying that this is a retirement before an election? So it creates a need to fill a yeah. seat. That's how it works. And then, okay. and then it falls to the mayor to appoint somebody. Okay. Um, and then the person becomes yeah. an incumbent and then yeah. more or less everyone's like, oh, this person's great. Let's vote for them. It's a way to cement your power. So, wow. so Rosanna, you actually run against Dick Mel's daughter then? Yes. So he retired halfway through his term. She, of course, carried his last name and then she served for two years and then she had to run for re-election. Uh, that's when Tim Megan ran. We ran him in 2015. Um, we were 17 votes away from a runoff with them. Mm-hmm. And we had no idea of how to run an electoral campaign and we had no money. We were like, we're just going to do this and see what happens. And yes. one thing about socialism, one thing about organizers is that we know how to organize. Like we might not know a lot about electoral politics. We know how to organize. Okay. And, uh, and we were really motivated to, 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 to change things, right? And um, and what we decided to do was to start an IPO, an independent political organization, which were very popular during the time of Harold Washington because of how entrenched the Chicago machine was in the electoral, the official electoral um, Democratic Party. So you're actually using you're actually using a mechanism from that past that's actually the history is alive for you in this present. That's really yes. interesting. Um, for three and a half years, we spend all of our time organizing around housing, around immigrant rights, and around education. We knocked on people's doors to talk about items that we put on ballots, like rent control or moratorium and charter schools. 
Um, and we were having conversations with people all the time, right? Organized, organized, organized. We organized with tenant unions. We organized to protect immigrants and go to court with them. Fundraisers for families of immigrants that were being deported. We were doing all of that work. Rosanna, I, w- I want to try to finish that one question here. Um, because like a true organizer and socialist, you you talked about the collective and not about yourself. And even when we asked you the question about how you got into politics, you talked about the person you ran before you. Why you? Then then you ran. Like, why did, just like in a real, you know, you could say quickly, like, why did you want to become Alder Woman? And like, why did you? So so the, the first answer I would say is that I didn't want to. Um, but when the time came to run for office, to run somebody, um, it became evident that I was, that it was, if it was not me, if I didn't say yes, nobody was going to do it that had our values, right? So at that point, I really wanted somebody to be able to, to be on the seat. Yeah, and yeah. I, and I decided to say yes, um, okay. even though I was incredibly scared. Like I ran, I was scared every day. I didn't think that I was the right person to do it. But now, now I know that I am the right person to be to be on this seat. I absolutely am. I want to unpack that a little bit because one of the things that we're that I'm interested in, and, and I know Ben and I are both curious about this. So no, I'm in, I'm interested. I don't even know what you're going to say, but I'm I'm <laughs> I'm interested. Don't don't leave me out of this. I'm All part right. of it. Well, you can speak. You can speak for both of us because I mean, listen. You and I and Ben, the three of us are a version of a rainbow coalition. And Ben and I identify as progressives. But it seems like right now in the country in 2023, when I pick up the newspaper, like I'm reading that in California, a significant number of Latino voters uh, struck down an affirmative action referendum. They said, you know, we want to keep things as they are to ban affirmative action in California admissions. When I look at Florida, it is obvious that a significant Hispanic and Latino population supports Donald Trump. When I look at Nevada and Arizona, I see a, you know, a blue ripple uh, fighting against, you know, a red wave and it's winning sometimes and it's a it's a toss up. So help me understand in Chicago on the ground what is the difference between like Latino voters who are moderate and centrist and might even be Republican leaning in some of their national politics versus progressives who are committed to these issues? I mean, you've just talked about rent control and tenant strikes. I mean, I'm not hearing a lot of national polling about those Latino voters. So tell us, help us understand the difference between how you think of progressive politics and how I'm hearing about Latino voters who are way more moderate and centrist and kind of on the bubble uh, in terms of national politics. I think, I mean, it's a matter of context. Chicago is a place where we organize a lot. It is never ending. And I think um, we have gotten to a point here of organizing a very successful organizing. I'm going to give you the best example that I have. We, um, at this point here in the northwest side of Chicago, specifically the northwest side of Chicago, which is very heavily Latino, we have been able to elect a block of around nine very progressive electeds at all levels of government. We have state reps, we have state senators, all of us. I mean, we are Latinos and we are very progressive and we are making sure that we are getting this message across. But it just takes organizing. It takes knocking on doors. It takes organizing people and ensuring that just like the Black Panthers and the Young Lords organize for with mutual aid and making sure that people um, could see each other as allies, right? Um, we are doing that here. And it is showing results. Mm. Like You can see it, right? When in the last election, um, there was a very interesting dynamic here in the Northwest side because Delia Ramirez was running in a very progressive platform. And there was another Latino, Gil Villegas, who is part of city council that was also running for that seat. He was running on tough on crime stuff. He was running on a moderate platform. And they started calling Delia defund Delia. And they sent so many mailers making her look like she was like anti-police and she just wanted crime. She won in a landslide. Oh, that's interesting. A landslide. Yeah, because we talk so much about Eric Adams and like this consolidation of working class black voters around a tough on crime agenda and a lot of, you know, very conservative ideas about how to run the city. 
Um, and you're saying just the opposite is happening in, in at least this ward of Chicago. In the Northwest side as a whole, not just my ward, Delia won, mm. Delia won the suburbs. Delia won the whole yeah, West yeah. suburbs in, in her platform, which received a lot of attacks as a defund platform, right? Um, so we actually believe that we are making a lot of way to progressives, to progressive ideas in our communities. And I, I think that people, it is easy for people to go right and to adopt right wing ideas when they can't imagine anything else. And you are presenting problems like crime, but you don't have any other alternative and you are not engaging with people either at a level where people feel like they're being heard and that there's something for them. We're going to take a break, but when we come back from that break, we're going to talk about how Chicago is or isn't uh, a version of the future as it has often been in the past and the degree to which we can teach a national audience what to learn from what's happening in your ward and on the northwest side of Chicago about the future of a rainbow coalition. We'll be right back. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation, with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So Rosanna, we've learned so much about the effectiveness of organizing around key progressive issues and really pushing back against the kind of representational politics that so often cloud the actual needs of people rather than there's a black or a brown uh, or an Asian in office. And so I'm really curious, you know, do you think right now what you're seeing on the ground in Chicago makes the rainbow coalition that we've been talking about still viable? Do you think this is something, and Ben, I don't know, what, I don't even know if you, what you think about this. Do, do you think this is something that we ought to be talking a lot more about? Yeah, Khalil. I mean, uh, I'm thinking about this a lot. We have a mayoral election going on, but I'm also thinking about the demographics in Chicago. So mm. we were talking about Harold Washington. When he was mayor, the, the Latino population was not that big. It mm. was like around 14% or something. Okay. And we had this huge influx, especially people from Mexico over mm. the next you know, 20, 30 years. And now, at least in theory, we have this beautifully diverse city of like 30% Latino, 45% white, 
30% black and, and another sort of 7% Asian. Now, we're madly segregated, so it doesn't feel crazy diverse, but, but the, the, the total makeup is this amazing thing. And that's yes. probably true of cities, you know, democratic cities all across the country. Chicago is representative in that way of yes. a rising Latino population and sort of thinking about the jumble of these politics. Mm-hmm. And, and like partly what we were talking about with Harold Washington is sort of this white backlash to this progressive movement and to this, mm. this you know, intra, interracial uh, connections. Um, but I'm really interested in sort of like the, the also the black Latino divides that happen. That's and right. like to think about how that's also taking shape in Chicago, mm. because certainly like, you know, I, I think the black community in some ways feels like they're losing out of power, you know, but maybe Rosanna feels differently of seeing this on the ground. Um, and even like seeing it in the city council, which has this, you know, 50 aldermen, alder people, alders, alder women and alder <laughs> men, all of them. But, but, you know, so, so yeah, I think it's, it is this, it is this example of what's happening nationally here. I think there's a lot of work to do to be able to build um, the same structures in black communities. And it is very challenging Right now, um, we are in the middle of this mayoral election and United Working Families, which is our effort to create a workers' party um, in Chicago. And the top of the ticket is Brandon Johnson for for mayor, which I believe that he is trying to build that rainbow coalition. And Brandon's black. Just uh, even I know that from 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 national reporting. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so so here. So the so what I am saying is here in these Latino neighborhoods, right? The different organizations that have been built around all of these other candidates at different levels of office. Um, this is something that we haven't been able to build yet in black communities, and because of segregation, right? It, is, it has been a very different reality. Are you saying that when you say we, you mean the party has not been effective in some of the black wards and districts on the south and west sides of Chicago? That's what you mean by the we. No, what I mean is that what it means that those efforts haven't gotten on their way. So can you give an example of an organizing effort to get a program in place or a policy that hasn't yet worked among black Chicagoans? One example of this is Treatment Not Trauma. It's a bill that I introduced in 2020 yeah. to create a mental health response, um, holistic yeah. mental health response in Chicago. We put it on the ballot in the last election in November. We were here in my ward, 33, and in two wards that are predominantly black, which are the 6th ward and the 20th ward. Yeah, people on knocked on doors. People had conversations. This is how we do it, right? Like we go to people, we, we talked about what are the problems that we're having. Well, this is a possible solution. How do we do this? But we haven't been doing that necessarily in a lot of black communities. Here in, in, in the nor- Northwest side, we started doing it. Um, but we haven't been able to go through that process there. And I say we because this is everybody's responsibility, right? I say we, I am in my community doing what, what I can. But we haven't been able to have that level of, of organization in this particular context. And, but we are on our way and, to do that. And right? Ros- Rosanna, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this idea. So you're endorsing a black progressive candidate in the mayoral election. There's a very prominent Latino candidate as well, who actually emerges from Harold Washington's coalition. We know. Er- yeah, Chuy Garcia. Yeah, who, who I met a few years ago. Uh, it seemed like a really lovely guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got, I got, I'm thinking about two things here. One is, is it controversial that you are siding with a black progressive and not a Latino? And maybe you can explain sort of how your progressive politics kind of supersedes uh, a racial politics. And then two, like say you're knocking on doors and you go to an older family in, in your ward and, you know, a Latino family and, you, and they're, they're Chewy Garcia supporters. How do you convince them? You're like, no, 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 this, this, this black guy who, who actually has your interests. Brandon Johnson. Um, yes. Better. Yeah. 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 Well, th- those conversations um, usually start with, an issue, right? Like, what is the issue that you care about? And it is not easy. And I, I would like to start saying I have a lot of respect for uh, Congressman Garcia. Um, I know him personally. I did meet with him alongside all of the Northwest Side electeds, uh, progressive Latino electeds. He was not ready to commit to running when we met with him. Mm. Um, and Brandon was. 
And Brandon sat down with us and we talked about all of the different uh, things that we needed. And he committed to fighting alongside us for those things. So I am going to support the person that is going to go too bad for the progressive agenda that we have, right? Chewy couldn't commit to it at that point. He didn't even know if he was running. I'm sorry, we have to run somebody against Mayor Lightfoot. So this is what we're doing. Um, and I am very proud to be supporting Brandon Johnson because I know what his history is in movement. I know that he's a union person. I know that um, he, I know where he has been and what he has been doing. And I, I, I do think that it is important for Latino communities um, to understand who is fighting in their best interest. And I think Brandon is going to be doing that. When I go into a, a household and we talked about the issues at hand, I am very comfortable saying Brandon has committed to treatment, not trauma. Brandon already committed to that. And I know that I'm going to be able to count on him to deliver that. I want to just um, sort of round this out with an issue that I think is a third rail around this question of coalition politics. Um, and it certainly is in New York City. Um, it is in a lot of places. So you keep talking about treatment, not trauma. And I want to understand, like, how does that intersect with a larger debate about Chicago crime, just like many other cities? And in a lot of other places, it's most certainly derailed progressive ideas. It has derailed the attractiveness of progressive politicians who have been saddled with the stigma of hating police officers through the quote unquote defund movement. And and it seems like this isn't this doesn't animate any of the people that you're talking to. Do I have that right? And if so, how is that possible? Well, that's what I was just talking about with the election of Delia Ramirez and Anthony Quesada and all of the slate that just won. Like they were attacked, literally. Everybody was saying, everybody <laughs> against them was saying these people are defund. The opposition got money from the FOP, like, yeah. I, like Poli the police seventeen thousand yeah. dollars from the FOP. And what happened was that it's backfired because those values do not belong in our communities, and we called it out. Mm. And we said, "You are taking money from people who are, you know, like the the president of the FOP in Chicago is." A terrible human being. He's racist. He has made so many Islamophobic he remarks. Was he was okay with the riots in the in the Capitol on January sixth. Yeah. He said he said the only the only law he saw broken was uh, trespassing. That was his quote at the January sixth. Yeah. So it, so I'm sorry. We are not going to stand by those values, right? Yeah. And and I think that we need to speak clearly about those things, but also speak very clearly as well about what is it that we imagine, right? Because people need to be able to imagine how is it that you're talking about safety and what are the concrete things that you're going to do. And treatment on trauma, for example, is trying to reduce the amount of calls that are going through 911 by developing other approaches that are well, like way better um, and, and evidence-based to handle things that are public health-based, to handle things that are human service, social service-based. Um, so expanding the care pilot that we fought for so that you don't have to send police to deal with mental health emergencies, creating walking crisis centers that are open 24 hours so that we, you have a place to transport, right? You don't have to go to the police station or to the ER. Making sure that you have, I like to call them beat clinicians. Instead of talking about beat cops all the time, you actually need beat like social workers that are going to go and are going to monitor the people and places that are most likely to go into crisis because you already know what's happened there and where those people are. Build trust, monitor them, figure out how you can prevent crisis, right? It is actually not like rocket science, and this is working in other cities as well. So when I hear that somebody is behind the treatment of trauma approach, which, let me tell you, in the last several mayoral debates, treatment of trauma has been in everybody's mouth. Everybody's talking about treatment of trauma. When I first introduced it, nobody wanted to hear anything about it. But now we do need to be thinking about safety in a different way and use the right and proper tools to address each social issue. And, right, and what we're doing of throwing police at everything is just not working. I think this is uh, really, really helpful to me as an outsider. And I'm curious to Ben. So Ben, I haven't heard also you mention- just hearing all these policies, yeah. Yeah, but I haven't heard you mention this. So, I mean, how- are, if you're hearing much of this for the first time, then, like, does Lori Lightfoot have a chance in hell? Like, how how to square mm -hmm. her as current mayor 
with a gigantic city of millions of, of, of black people as well as whites. We have, you know, we haven't talked about the white population that much. And so like Rosanna's is making a whole hell of a lot of sense here. Um, but yeah, you're saying that the, her policies are, and politics are your politics and policies, but, but not just my politics. They're, they're working on the ground in local politics. And yet I have, there's no news reporting on this. I'm, they mean, so I'm just trying to figure out like, is Lightfoot consolidating support in the same way that an Eric Adams or a Joe Biden has that it kind of just turns what she's talking about into something unrealistic? Is she hiding the fact that these programs are working? Is she taking credit for them? Like what's going on? The, the, the programs don't exist yet. Uh, there's a bill. Okay. There is Got a it. little pilot that we have to push her to create, but it is only one team. And now it will probably expand to two, but not enough to be able to even have enough data to make decisions. So the problem has been that she has resisted these approaches the whole time because she has stood by the tough on crime narrative. So, so what we are trying to do now is, and it's one of the reasons why treatment of trauma is now being used by every other mayoral candidate because they understand that she has resisted this, that she has blocked this, and that um, they need to signal, right, that they are open to other approaches, that they are open to doing things in a different way. Um, so I, I feel really good about it because I didn't really think that we would be in this place at the end of the term, and I have fought so hard. Um, and we have done everything that we can to make sure that the public knows about this. Like putting it in the ballot was was great. We were able to have so many conversations with people and and let them know this is what we're trying to do, you know? Yeah. Rosanne, I mean, uh, you, one of the things that's so great about hearing this, I mean, we wanted to learn from you. It's when I when I saw you speak uh, at that forum, I was like, this is somebody I want to talk to more and, and learn from because you were talking about these progressive politics on the ground and organizing and and I actually personally believe in, in these policies that you're talking about. And this is partly an answer to what you said, Khalil, like this is a big ass city. So, you know, Rosanna is talking about finding many like minded people. And there are a lot of you know areas of the city where people feel very differently and, and their politics don't align with this. But the margins are, are, are pretty slim, even around things like crime and so on. Um, but yeah, you're talking about how many of these issues cross racial lines. And in, in this city, where it's so, so often zero-sum politics around race, that's really powerful and encouraging. Um, I'm going to ask you uh, maybe a way to close this conversation out, a more playful question, which is like, we watched this Harold Washington documentary, Punch Nine, and we saw, again, these council wars where the, the essentially 29 white aldermen were fighting with the other aldermen who were more progressive and didn't want to let any legislation pass. And it just seemed like madness in there, screaming and yelling. Um, tell us a story about being in city council where it felt if not a war, at least like, you know, a skirmish. <laughs> we have had several of those over over the time that I have been there. Um, not long ago, there was, a, there was a discussion that we had around curfews because there was a shooting in Millennium Park and a kid got killed. And it's always, um, you know, like reactive. Like we never stop to think what is a sustainable way that addresses the root cause of things. So me and Carlos Ramirez Rosa, we went and got a bunch of studies about curfews, right? Um, Carlos, me and Matt Martin, and we printed them out and we put them on everybody's desk, <laughs> trying to get them to at least for once do some evidence-based legislation because it was a knee-jerk reaction to, to the you would not believe like how crazy the conversation got. We were talking about you know, studies and, 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 <laughs> and evidence. And people started yelling at us that we didn't know how to raise children, <laughs> that they always knew where their children were when they were growing up. Somebody said, like, the end of the conversation was one of my colleagues saying, um, my grandma used to say that after 10 p.m., the only thing open are liquor stores and legs. And I'm there with my, my abstract. <laughs> legs. Like, I just gave you all of this evidence-based information, and this is what you have to add to the conversation. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it not gets crazy in there. It gets really yeah. crazy. Yeah. 
Well, listen, um, I think that the jury's probably still out as to whether the Rainbow Coalition has legs nationally. I know that, you know, Obama sort of represented a kind of Rainbow Coalition nationally demographic that was really just purely representational and symbolic, meaning that that people of color voted for him and they made the difference. And it seems to me the Democratic Party nationally is stuck on this issue. Um, but listening to you, Rosanna, you know, I think that there's a lot of hope to be embraced around how local organizing still matters. It certainly mattered in the 60s. It mattered during Harold Washington's day. And as you just shared with us today, it matters now. So folks listening, we got to get out there. We got to knock on doors. We got to talk about issues, not about the color of people's skin, although a lot of people of color suffer the most from these issues. So they certainly should be at the table in terms of decision making and power. So I want to thank you so much for, for being on our show today. Thank you so much for having me. So much fun talking to you. I hope to be back. Yeah, and you and, okay. and also listeners, you got to answer the door when somebody comes knocking. It's not just that you got to knock at the door. You got you got to listen to folks like Rosanna and, and hear what they have to say. Especially because right. it's cold yeah. outside. Let us in and give us hot yeah. chocolate. It's super cold. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much, Rosanna. Yeah, Thank and good you. luck with your own reelection. Which good luck is with also your own reelection. The mayor. Thank you. Yeah, the mayor race. Take care. Oh, man, that was a really great conversation. And I have to say, like, something that really jumped out at me when she was talking was, like, when she just so forthrightly said, I'm a socialist. Like, you don't hear that every day. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, you don't hear that every day. You don't hear that every fact, day. in fact, we probably, if we, we, in a, another conversation with her, that's all we would talk about. Unpack that, please. Tell <laughs> right. us everything that well, you mean by that. How do you come up with that? How do, what is it, what's your response when people say that? Yeah. And and one of the things that, that I think about is when she said, that socialists study history. And then she's like, yeah, because that's how we learned about the Black Power Movement. And man, I could not help but think like, oh my God, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is exactly right to be afraid of Black studies. Because if people, young people like Rosanna, learn this history, decide to run for office, organize people door to door, run on a platform that is about values, about equity, a word that's nearly been banned in the state of Florida right now, then you actually get a different country. You get a different city. Yeah. You get a different politics. And even, even her studying Harold Washington, she's actually learning strategies directly from Harold Washington, how outsiders outside the political right. power structure develop their own independent political organizations to then get power. That's right. Um, this is the lesson that she has, has studied and learned and that she's trying to like to, to make come to life again in the present. Yeah, yeah. So we learned a lot and <laughs> black studies, yes. <laughs> Man. See, see, here we were, Rainbow Co Coalition, and now, now you're no, like, no, no. It's, no. The, it's, it's the glue <laughs> that binds it all together, you know? It's the glue. It's, it, it, yeah. it makes it all work. The rainbow comes together. All right, man. All right. Love you. Love you, too. Some of My Best Friends Are is a production of Pushkin Industries. The show is written and hosted by me, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and my best friend, Ben Austin. It's produced by John Asante and Lucy Sullivan. Our editor is Sarah Nix. Our engineer is Amanda K. Wong. And our managing producer is Constanza Gallardo. At Pushkin, thanks to Letal Molad, Julia Barton, Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, Greta Cohn, and Jacob Weisberg. Our theme song, Little Lily, is by fellow Chicagoan, the brilliant Avery R. Young, from his album Tubman. You definitely want to check out his music at his website, averyryoung.com. You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. And if you like our show, Please give us a five-star rating and a review. And listen, even if you don't like it, give it a five-star rating and a review. And please tell all of your best friends about it. Thank you. You, you and I have this funny, like, literary joke, right? That we, we love Ralph Ellison.
right? And the right. whole passage in Ralph Ellison when the protagonist is working at Liberty the white, Paint, white, right? The, the whitest white. The whitest white is made up by black dope, meaning this chemical <laughs> substance of black that is dropped into the paint to make it as white as white. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a brilliant chapter. It's a br brilliant part of that brilliant book. Br brilliant so I'm metaphor. with you. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.